Well, we're going to um, start off today in the book of 1 Kings, but we're headed toward the book of Ecclesiastes. And so, but we're going to uh, look at the Bible and we're going to learn some lessons learned from the life of Solomon, one of the most intriguing and interesting people in the Word of God. And as I've studied his life and studied uh, his response to life, I'm telling you, there is much that we can learn, good and bad, from the life of Solomon. You know, the Bible says that all of the things that happened in the Old Testament were, in a way, examples to us who would live in the New Testament age. Not long ago, when a pastor said, we need to disconnect with the Old Testament. Well, he can if he wants to, but I'm not about to disconnect with the Old Testament. That's over half our Bible. And I'm telling you, we don't understand the New Testament unless we're connected to the Old Testament. So let's ask the Lord to teach us um, the um, lessons that are found in the life of Solomon. All right, I want to begin uh, with 1 Kings chapter 4. Verse 5, Isaiah, the son of Nathan, over the office of Zebra, the son of Nathan, a priest and the king's friend. This is not what I wanted to read. I don't know what I have done here. You can tell I've been off for two weeks. I'm, I'm going to look, I'm going to look that up just a minute. And that's not y'all's fault because that's what I sent you. Uh, but so let me just, I, I said First Kings uh, Four, five through fourteen. All right. What what verse did we start with? Four. I got to see what that is. Is First Kings in the Old Testament or New Testament? <laughs> All them big books are around it, but that uh, just doesn't sound right to me. All right, First Kings four. Five. That ain't even close to being right. <laughs> I am not believing that. Let me go back and find out what it is. Some of y'all may know, but I don't. All right. Well, anyway. Well, I can just, I'll just tell you the story and we'll look at the scripture later. Okay. Solomon was the wisest, the richest, and the most influential king that Israel ever had. He was king over Israel when it was not a divided kingdom. During the end of his reign, it was divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. But Solomon was appointed by David to be the king. And he was the second son of uh, David and Bathsheba. You remember the first child died. And then so here uh, Solomon is the second son. And there was another person, uh, Adonijah, that were gonna, they were going to appoint king. But David said, no, no. It's going to be Solomon. And so David appointed Solomon to be king over the entire kingdom of Israel. And he began reigning when he was 15 years of age. That's hard to believe. But at age 15, he took the throne of the king of Israel. And he reigned for 40 years. And I was surprised when I realized that he only lived to be 60 years old. You know, in, in Old Testament days, Methuselah and all those, some of them lived for hundreds of years. But Solomon died at 60. And, uh, but he was appointed as king, and uh, in, in, in chapter 4, verse 28 and 29, let's see if that's it. And God gave Solomon wisdom and exceeding great understanding and the largeness of heart like the sand of the seashore. Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of 
of all the men of the east and all of the people of of e, all the people of e, uh, uh, Egypt. Okay. How did Solomon get that? Uh, how did he get that wisdom? Well, right after he was appointed as king uh, over Israel, he spent time uh, in Gibeon, and, and he was offering sacrifices, and he had a dream. And this was the key to the entire life of Solomon. In the dream, uh, God was talking to Solomon, and Solomon said to him, I'm, I'm a young man. He said, I don't know anything. I don't know how to go in or to go out. And so God asked him, well, Solomon, what would you like for me to do for you? Now, that's one thing when God asks you what, you want, what he wants him to do for you. And Solomon made the greatest of all requests. He said, God, I don't have the ability to govern these people. I cannot do it. But all I ask you to do is to give me the wisdom. Give me the wisdom and the understanding to govern these people. And the main thing about that was, when you look in the Hebrew at those words, God, this is the only request I have. Give me the wisdom to govern these people for they are great in number. And the word wisdom there is, God, give me a hearing heart. He said, God, I want to have a hearing heart. I want to hear what you say to me about Israel. I want you to hear me to hear, I want to hear you tell me how to judge the people when problems come up. And God was extremely pleased with Solomon with this request. He said, listen, Solomon, you did not ask for riches. You did not ask me to destroy your enemies. You simply ask me for wisdom to govern these people. He said, I'm going to do that. He said, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give, make you the wisest man that has ever lived. And secondly, I'm going to make you the richest man that has ever lived. And that is exactly what God did to Solomon. As Solomon followed the will of the Lord and governed the people, God made him the wisest and God made him the richest, and he was the most influential king that Israel had ever had. Well, uh, Solomon had the privilege of building the temple. And over in 1 Kings chapter 8, I think this is right, I hope it is. Well, no, for, go, go back to chapter 5, verse 5, okay. And behold, now David wanted to build the temple, okay, God said, no, you, you had too many enemies, and you have too much blood on your hands. You're not going to do that. You warred too much. And so he said Solomon was going to do it. And so this is what he said in verse 5. And behold, I purpose to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord spoke to my father David, saying, Your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place, he shall build the house for my name. And so here's Solomon, probably 16 or 17 years old now, and he's setting out to do what everybody had been looking for. He's going to build the first temple in Jerusalem, the holy temple that would be the center of the spiritual life of Israel. Oh, and then on, in 1 Kings 6, 11 through 13, the word of the Lord came to Solomon saying, Concerning the temple which you're building, if you, now notice what God told him. This is very important later on. If you walk in my statutes and execute my judgments, keep all my commandments and walk in them, then I will perform my word with you that I spoke to your father David. He said, Solomon, all you've got to do is just obey me and listen to what I'm saying. You keep that hearing heart. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and not forsake my people. All right. So here he is. He's a king of Israel. Uh, he's now in the process of building the temple, which was one of the most significant things in the spiritual life of Israel. And, and then we go on and read in chapter 8, verse 6, it says, then the, all right, so he's built the temple now. 
And of course, the most important place in the temple was the Holy of Holies. And so now is the time to bring the ark back to the temple, which is the presence of God. So in 8, chapter, 1 Kings 8, 6, Then the priests brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place, into the inner sanctuary of the temple, to, of the most holy place, under the wings of the cherubim. So now they've brought the ark into the temple that is finished, and they brought it into the holy of holies. And it came to pass... When the priests came out of the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord. Remember when God brought them out of Egypt? There was a cloud that led them by day and a fire by night. And this cloud was the glory of God, it says. And so when they brought the ark into the holy of holies, and the priests finished ministering, the cloud filled the temple, the holy of holies, so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. So, man, this was a high time spiritually in the life of Israel. God had anointed Solomon. Solomon had asked for wisdom and for a hearing heart. He had obeyed God. The temple is built. The ark is back in the Holy of Holies. And all Israel now is centered in on the worship of Yahweh. The worship Jehovah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And these were wonderful accomplishments by a young king by the name of Solomon. And in 1 Kings 10, 23, it says, So Solomon surpassed, now get this, So Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. I want you to underline that. So here this young king had a heart to hear God and he obeyed what God told him to do and now he has surpassed all other kings of the earth. Well, but there was one thing that God told Solomon not to do. He, he, he told Solomon, said, now listen, I do not want you to marry any foreign wives because if you do, they're going to bring their foreign gods with them. And they're going to bring idolatry back into Israel. And they're going to turn your heart away from me and will turn the people's heart away from me. Now, I don't know the problem Solomon had here, but that was clear. God said, do not intermarry with those foreign uh, people. And, and he told them where they were from. In chapter 11 of 1 Kings Look at what it says. But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh. He loved the women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Sidonians, the Hittites, and the Termites. He had all. <laughs> he married all. Lord, how much? He just named the nations of where he got his foreign wives. You say, Brother Fred, how many wives did he have? You don't want to know. 700. He had 700 wives. Now, I got to thinking, well, what is the purpose of all that? Well, it, it, to me, uh, someone told me it was the, the more wives you had, the more you spreaded your kingdom out, and the more power and authority you seemed to have. I don't know, but I, all I know is he had 700 wives, and 300 concubines. I have never understood what a concubine was. I really didn't have not. I meant to look it up, but I didn't do it. But uh, I wanted to call it a porcupine. But anyway, <laughs> so Solomon had done all this. And, and, but now he blatantly, blatantly, openly disobeys God. Totally disregard what God tells him to do. Now, man, this is the wisest man that has ever lived. This is a man that God has blessed with riches and fame and influence far above any other. But now he goes off and absolutely just looks in the face of God and disobeys him. And we go ahead and read on. It says, for it was so when Solomon was old, and he only lived to be 60 now, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned his heart after other gods. 
Well, now he's getting into idolatry. His wife turned his hearts after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to, to, to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. And we go on and read in the next verse. It says, uh, and we're going to read all the way through verse 9, okay? All right. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth. That was the goddess of the Sidonians. And after Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord. And did not follow fully the Lord as his father David. Then Solomon built a high place in Shemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and one for Molech, that was the God that they sacrificed the children to, the abomination of the people of Ammon. He did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So the Lord became angry with Solomon. He got angry with him. Because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel, who appeared to him twice. Now, all of that I told you about Solomon, so that you'll understand the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon wrote three books. He wrote the Song of Solomon, which is a love story, and I believe it's a love story picturing the love of Jesus, the love between a human being and Jesus. And then he wrote one of my favorite books. Oh, I love it, the book of Proverbs. I'm telling you, you never get tired of reading it. God always gives you a word of wisdom or a word of warning or a word of encouragement. Anytime you go through Proverbs, it is a powerful book. But then he wrote Ecclesiastes. You know when he wrote Ecclesiastes? When he was away from God. When he was living in sin and separated from the God who had blessed him. And so what all you see in the book of Ecclesiastes is the despair of a person who's disobeyed God. The despair of a person who is now, who, who had a hearing heart and walked with God, but who is now separated from God. So let's, we're going to look at the book of Ecclesiastes, and, uh, and, and we're going to learn some lessons from the life of Solomon. Now, the three lessons main lessons that we need to learn from the life of Solomon. And, and, but look, look in, in, in chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes. Solomon calls himself the preacher in this, in this book. He calls himself the preacher. And it was this. It was someone who gathered an assembly so he could talk to him. So Solomon saw himself as preaching, as getting assembly of the other people of the children of Israel. The words of the preacher... The son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now listen to what he says. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Now the word vanity is used 37 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. And this is what it means. It means meaningless, meaningless, empty, empty. And he's basically expressing, stay with me now, the futility of living a life apart from God. Man, there was a time when Solomon and God were just like this. And God would speak, and Solomon would listen, and Solomon would obey. But now, he is absolutely eaten up with disobedience. Absolutely overwhelmed with idolatry. And now... He's trying to live his life apart from God. He was trying to live his life apart from God. So the book of Ecclesiastes is his journey in his life when he was separated from God. And, and, and he says, goes on in chapter 1, he says, I the preacher was king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I said, now listen, he was trying to find meaning in his life apart from God. You see, that, that's the problem with people today. They try to find meaning in their lives apart from God. And that, that is never going to happen. Because God created us for himself. He created us for himself. And our life was to come from him. And our life was to be given to him. 
But now here Solomon is away from God, and he says, well, I, I tell you what, I, I, I'm tired of being, having this empty feeling. I'm tired of life being uh, meaningless and empty, so I'll tell you what I'm going to do. And look in verse 13, he said, I set my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under the sun. He said, I, I really don't understand life now. Well, I don't guess you do, Solomon. You've disobeyed God. You're no longer hearing from the Spirit of God. And you're confused. And you're trying to find your way without God. Yeah, I understand that. I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things done under heaven. This burdensome task of really trying to find where life is. Man, he was a man that built the temple. And the glory of God came and filled it. And he knew Yahweh was the true and living God. But he had turned from him because he disobeyed him. When you disobey God, there's only one way you can go is down. Unless you repent and turn back to him. So I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. This burdensome task God has given to the sons of men that they may be exercised. And so, and this is what he says. I've seen all the works that are done under the sun. He said, there's nothing I haven't seen and nothing I haven't experienced. And indeed, all is vanity. He said, everything's empty. Now, wait a minute, Solomon. You said you've seen all the works under the sun and that everything is empty and everything is meaningless? Is that the way where you are in your life? I've seen all the works that are done under the sun and indeed, all is vanity and like chasing the wind. Do you understand that here's a person, they may be rich, they may be poor. They may be educated, they may be uneducated. But they're pursuing life without God. And as you pursue life without God, it just does not connect. You're not living for the purpose God created you, to know Him, to love Him, and to follow Him. So you just wander around trying to find meaning and purpose in life. That reminds me so much of America where people, you know, we have freedom in this country. Thank God for it. But I'm telling you, multitudes upon multitudes upon multitudes get up every morning really wondering, what is my life all about? What is God's purpose? No, they don't even say that. What is the purpose? For my, I know i got to make a living, but I, I mean, I can't figure this thing out because nothing really satisfies me. Nothing really satisfies me. If I get one house, I want a bigger house. If I want get one car, I want a, another kind of car. If I get one wife, I want to get another kind of wife. You know, and, and it's just like they're where Solomon is. I can't figure it out. And he goes on and says, but look what he did. He said something that none of us could say. He was trying to find meaning in his life when he was away from God. You will never find meaning in your life when you're away from God. You've got to understand that. He says, now listen to this. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. If I saw it and I wanted it, I got it. Price was never, ever, ever a, a, a point of contention. Influence and having the, knowing the right people was never a point of, of difficulty. He said, whatever I saw that I wanted, I got. Now look at the next verse. I did not withhold from my heart any pleasure. You say, man, this guy was living the American dream. He did not withhold from his heart any pleasure. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor. And uh, then I looked, now listen to this, then I looked on all the works that my hands had done. He said, everything my eyes saw that I wanted, I got. Everything that I uh, labored for, I mean, I had everything that I wanted. There was not one thing that I wanted that I did not have. He said, then I looked on the works that my hands had done and on the labor that I had told. And indeed, listen to this, it was all vanity. 
He said, I, I got everything I looked at I wanted. There was not one thing I withheld from my heart that I desired. But you know, after it was all said and done, everything was empty. It was just empty. It was meaningless. All, and indeed, all was vanity and chasing the wind. That is a vivid picture. People get up, and they don't even really realize what they're doing. But they keep chasing this and chasing that. And it's like chasing the wind. And you never catch it because you're chasing the wrong thing. And so here we see the wisest, the richest, most influential man saying, uh, indeed, all was vanity, it was empty, it empty. I was grasping for the wind. And listen to this, there was no profit under the sun. Man, you're talking about being full of despair. You talk about getting up in the morning and say, what is life all about? I don't, I don't understand all this stuff. Nothing satisfies me. Nothing satisfies me. Nothing. Do you realize today that that is one of the driving things in people's hearts? They're just thinking that if I can just do this or accomplish this or have this or have that, I will be satisfied. Let me say to you with authority, I'm telling you right now, until you have a right relationship with the living God, and when you get up every morning and know that God's going to speak to you and you're going to speak to God, and you know that you're going to follow what he says, until you find your life in the living God, you will never be satisfied. Never. Have you noticed the rash of suicides in the last uh, six weeks in Hollywood? I have compassion on any person or any family where there would be a suicide. And I know there are many reasons, but I'll tell you, it's just been one after the other, one after the other, all famous, all had plenty of money. But you know what? They were tired of chasing the wind. They were tired of trying everything under the sun, and nothing satisfied their heart. And so they said, what's the use of living? What's the use of going on living? There's no profit whatsoever under the sun. So a lesson we're learning from Solomon is, boy, when you, there are consequences when you disobey God. There are consequences. When you say, Brother Fred, what are the some of the things Solomon did to try to satisfy his heart? Well, I'm just going to read, read them quickly, but I want you to see everything he did, and, and he said, and well, this is the first nine verses of chapter two, but just listen to what he did to try to satisfy his heart. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth. He said, I'm going to have a party. I'm going to laugh. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to have, and, and therefore enjoy pleasure. But this also was vanity. He said it was empty. It was empty. I bet there have been a lot of people that have left uh, one of those Mardi Gras balls about half drunk and got home and went to sleep and woke up the next morning. What in the world was that all about? It's, I feel just as empty now as I did before. You say, Brother Fred, that's kind of hard. I didn't, I didn't write it. God wrote it. Emptiness. He said, I said of laughter, madness, and of mirth, what does it accomplish? Read on. I searched my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine. He said, well, I'll just get drunk. And I'll just stay drunk. But you can only stay drunk so long. But look what he said. I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom on how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do in under heaven all the days of their life. I was just trying to find out what life was all about. And then he moved on. He said, I, built, I made great works. He said, I built me a larger house. I built myself houses. I planted vineyards. I guess he had peaches and pears and grapes. And he said, I made myself gardens and orchards. I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. Man, he's doing everything to find some meaning in life. I made myself water pools from which to, I could irrigate the growing trees. So, man, he was just doing everything he could to find some satisfaction. Well, I got some servants. What in the world do you need the servants when you got 700 wives and 300 concubines? I ain't figured that out. I know what you had to clean up after those 700 wives. But anyway, we'll go on. 
I acquired male and female servants, had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. You know, uh, I don't speak with any judgmental attitude, but recently when that pain clinic on Airport Boulevard found out that the doctors were just making a fortune off of illegal drugs and had people hooked on them. And, and I think they're, I know they're, I feel sure they're both in prison now serving 40 years or something like that because really they were destroying people's lives. But you know, one of them had about seven cars. He had a Bentley. He had a Rolls Royce. He had, you know, I bet he went out in the morning and said, look at there, that really makes me happy. Oh, it didn't make him happy. Huh? Just more stuff he had to take care of. And Solomon said, I had more herds, more possessions, but it didn't mean anything to me. Then he went on and said, I gathered for myself silver and gold, special treasures of the kings and of the provinces. I acquired, oh, he got a band. Now he really has stepped up when you have your own private band. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, and I had musical instruments of all kinds. Boy, Solomon, you are really living. I mean, you're really living. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. And my wisdom remained with me. But I want to show you a verse. You say, man, that couldn't be all bad, Brother Fred. Well, in chapter 2, verse 17, don't ever forget this verse. Here was a man who was wiser and richer, more influential than anyone else. And as he started chasing after the wind, and started chasing, uh, you know, living life, and it was empty and meaningless to him. And he couldn't, anything he tried, he couldn't satisfy his heart. And then he said in verse 17, Therefore, I hated life. You hated life? Solomon, you have what everybody else wants. You had all the things people desire. And you hated living? You mean when you got up in the morning, you hated your life? He says, I hated life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me, for it is all empty. It is all vanity. It's like chasing the wind. You know, a couple of years, about 20 years ago, um, I preached out of Ecclesiastes. I didn't start off in Kings like I did today and tried to lay some background of who Solomon was. But I preached on that second chapter and how people were chasing trains, trying to make them happy. And about three weeks later, I was uh, in a particular place in Mobile. And there was a well-known Mobilian who was a good man. I didn't say a Christian man, but he was a good man as far as goodness could be. And uh, I, we were close enough to have a conversation. He said, by the way, he said, you know, three weeks ago I was up at hunting camp. And you described my life. Said I was watching you on TV. And you described my life. Everything you said about Solomon, that is who I am. I keep chasing the wind, but I'm never satisfied. Never satisfied. And you know, I've never forgotten that. And I want to tell you, you we all know people that they're, they're living for the wrong reason. And they don't even know why. But the main thing we learn from this, when a person disobeys God, whether they're lost or saved, when a person disobeys God, there is consequences. There is an emptiness. There's a lack of meaning. There's a lack of purpose. You, you may go to work and work hard. And you may come home and have a, a good marriage and work diligently at it. But I'm telling you, that is not all there is to life. We were created. Let me show you a verse that Solomon wrote. And, and it'll show you what the answer to this is. In verse chapter 3, verse 11, 
He's talking about the Lord. He said, he made everything beautiful in its time. Now look at this. And he has put eternity in their hearts. Except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. Now what did he mean? God makes everything beautiful in his time. But he said, and you know, he's put eternity in the heart. You know what he was saying? In every human being, there's a God-shaped vacuum. A God-shaped vacuum that only God can fill. All the money in the world, all the popularity in the world, all the pleasure. I am telling you, we were created for our creator, God himself. And we were created to have fellowship with him and to have a hearing heart and to walk with him and to serve him and to love him and to glorify him. And, and I'm telling you, until you have Jesus Christ in your heart, until he is in your heart and you know the forgiveness of sin and you get up in the morning and you know I've got a purpose today and everything that I do, I'm going to glorify God. I'm, it's all about me glorifying God. God has saved me. God has forgiven me. God has given me purpose. I'm thankful for the things that I have, but none of them, I could live without any of them because that's not where my peace and my fulfillment is. My peace and fulfillment is found in the living God. Listen, you tell your children, I want you to succeed. I want you to get the best education you can. And, and I want you to, if you want to follow a trade, I want you to follow that trade. And I want you to, I want you to find uh, something that you, get, uh, you feel good about doing. I want you to. But let me tell you something, son. Let me tell you something, daughter. You've got to understand. You'll never have the meaning, the fulfillment, and the purpose, and the peace, and the expectation in your life until Jesus is in control of your life. Until Jesus is your Lord. You can keep on chasing the wind. You can. You can keep on chasing this and that. But let me tell you. It is only when Christ. Who loved you and died for you. And rose from the dead to save you. It is only when Jesus Christ. has a, He is eternity. Till God puts that. He, he put eternity in their hearts. And there was no way. They were going to ever be satisfied. Us too. Apart from God himself. All right. Well, so Solomon blew it. And he tried everything, but he didn't, didn't succeed. Now, let's get to the most important part of the message. Some real lessons that Solomon learned that we can learn from Solomon's life. Here's the key. All right. He got to the end of the chapter, book, you know. Wise, listen to what he said. And, and just take hold of it in your heart. Let us hear the conclusion of the matter. He said, I figured it out. Finally, after all these years away from God, finally after all these years of chasing the wind, all these years of trying to stuff that eternity in my heart with something else, I found the answer. And look at what it is. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Now, I'm going to read those again. Let's go back to verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Obey God, for this is man's all. And then he said, God is going to bring every work into judgment. God is going to judge your life. And you think he didn't know that? For he was looking back on his life and realized how it was before he married all those foreign wives and disobeyed God. And then he saw all that he went through, all the emptiness. He, got, he woke up hating life. And he said, I'm going to tell you something. God will bring every work into judgment. And every secret thing, whether good or evil. And so here we see that he finally got the answer. I just want to touch on them briefly. First of all, he said, fear God. Boy, I love that. 
You know, that doesn't mean, you say, Brother Fred, are you afraid of God? Not like I'm afraid of a mad dog or afraid of a, a, somebody that might break into my, no, no, that's not what we're talking about here. The fear of the Lord is this. Somebody says, well, it's reverence. Well, that's okay. Somebody says it's all. It's okay. Somebody says it's just knowing who God is. That's okay. But I want you to listen to this. All right. This is the best definition of the fear of the Lord I've ever heard. It says, the fear of the Lord is we are aware that we're living in the presence of the one true living God. He is all-powerful. He's all-knowing, and He's ever-present. And now every word, thought, and deed is open before Him and will be judged by Him. Oh, so here I am about to make a decision. And the decision would be involve disobeying God. Now, you know what the fear of the Lord is? Hey, I know one thing. This is not what God wants. And God sees it. And God knows it. And God is going to bring it into judgment. And so what you say is, hey, it's not who knows and who doesn't know. It's a matter of what God says. Because I'm living in the presence of holy God. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. And he's all-seeing. And my every thought, my every word, and my every action is open before him. And will be judged by him. That's the fear of the Lord. Now let me give you about four verses on the fear of the Lord. In Pro- the first one is found in Proverbs chapter 4 verse 26 and 27. Now let's just listen to these verses. In the fear of the Lord there is strong confidence. Well I'm confident when I know I'm walking in the fear of the Lord. In the fear of the Lord there is strong confidence. And his children will have a place of refuge. Listen to the next verse, Proverbs 19, 22. Now get this, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Wow, the fear of the Lord, it's just like God's refreshing river flowing into our lives. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away. He'll to turn one away from the snares of death. (laughs) The fear of God will keep you from Getting in a place where a devil can kill you. All right, here's another one. Proverbs 19, 23. Don't listen to this. I'm living in the presence of the one true living God. He is holy. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-seeing. And my every word, thought, and action is open before him and will be judged by him. I'm living in the presence of God. And it says here, the fear of the Lord leads to life. And he who has it will abide in satisfaction. Man, if you're living in the fear of the Lord, it'll produce life and you'll be satisfied. And he will not be visited with evil. Because he's walking in the fear of the Lord. And there's one other verse. Boy, I like this. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Solomon. There was a time you had everything you were searching for. You lived in the fear of the Lord. You had a hearing heart. And you obeyed him. But you forgot that, you know, it is in the the fear of the Lord that there's riches and honor and life. All right, and then this last one on the fear of the Lord. Now I want you to listen carefully because it's about four verses. But it will tell you what the fear of the Lord involves. Come to you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Lord, I need for you to teach me the fear of the Lord. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life? I do. Who is the man that desires life? And loves many days that he may see good. Yes, that's what I want, Lord. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. And what did he say at the beginning? I'll teach you. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you 
the fear of the Lord. And then he speaks all those things to us. You know what I've learned from the life of Solomon? That when you walk with God and obey God, there's the favor of God and you're greatly blessed. But when you disobey God, there are serious consequences. And until you get right with God, there's going to be emptiness and meaninglessness and no purpose whatsoever. And you'll end up hating your life. This is exactly what happened to Solomon. But notice the second thing he said, fear God. The second thing he said was obey God. Keep his commandments. Now, I want to show you something. You say, Brother Fred, we are not saved by keeping the Ten Commandments. I agree. I know that. But I want to show you something. In, in, in 1 John, we're going to skip over one verse. In 1 John uh, 3, 22 to 29. He says, fear God, keep his commandments. Look at what it says. Talking about praying. Whatsoever we ask, we receive from him. Why? Because we keep his commandments. And do those things that are pleasing in his sight. But now here's what I want you to see. You say, well, Brother Fred, we're not saved by keeping the Ten Commandments. Oh, I know that. But here's the one commandment. If you keep it then God will give you the power to keep the rest. Look at this one. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the commandment. You don't get any further than that in your walk with God. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Hey, now he who keeps his commandments... Abides in him, and he in him. And we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So, obey God. You know, uh, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit gives us the power to obey God. That's how we obey God. You know that. We've said all along, over and over, I can't live the Christian life, you can't live it. But when Jesus Christ comes to live in us, it is Christ in us who gives us the power to obey God. I tried and I reformed and I turned over new leaves and new pages, but I always was the same way until Jesus Christ took control of my life and then everything changed and then I could keep his commandments. I wouldn't take his name in vain. I would not. It it didn't even occur to me before I got right with God. It wasn't, wasn't anything to take his name in vain. But after that, absolutely not. I mean, God took that out of my heart. And so I'm saying to you, when it says to you to keep his commandments, you need to understand that God will give you the power to obey him. And obedience does not begin with the act. It begins with the choice. And let me tell you what the choice is. You choose to obey God 100%. Lord, I'm choosing. I'm choosing to obey you 100%. You say, well, Brother Fred, one person, only one person ever did that. That was Jesus. I know. But still, that's our goal. If you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. But if you choose to be 100% obedient to God, well, you've settled it. You don't wait until you have to make the choice. God, by your grace and the power of Jesus in me, I choose to be 100% obedient to you. And the number two is this. I choose to obey you whether anybody else does or not. My obedience is not tied to my husband. It is not tied to my wife. It is not tied to my peers at school. It's not tied to others, the people at work. I choose to obey you whether anyone else does or not. And the third thing is I choose to obey you no matter what it costs. I choose to obey you 100%, Lord. That's where life is. I choose to obey you whether anybody else does or not. And no matter what it costs. Solomon had a hard journey. But thank God toward the end he said. Here it is y'all. Fear God. Keep his commandments. For God is going to judge you. He's going to judge you. He's going to judge you. It is appointed to man once to die. And after that what? The judgment. The great white throne judgment of the lost. The judgment seat of Christ of the saved. Just let me read uh, a, verse, a, few, a couple of verses over in, in Romans chapter 14. 
And this is the judgment of the saved. Great white throne judgment. People stand before God. They're dead in their trespasses and sin. They are judged for their sin. They died without Christ. They died in their sins. But now this is written to believers. None of us lives to himself. No one dies to himself. Wait a minute. It's my life. I'm not responsible to anybody. Oh, you, you, you think so? No one lives to himself and no one dies to himself. Oh, no, death is not the end for you. Uh-uh. It's just a new beginning of wherever you're going to be. For none of us lives to himself. No one dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For this reason, Christ died, rose, and lives again, that he might be Lord of the dead and of the living. And then he says, why do you judge your brother Christian? Why do you show contempt for your brother? Are you ready? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The great white throne judgment, you're judged for your sin. The judgment seat of Christ, you're, you're judged by Jesus for what you did from the day you were saved until the day you came to meet him. Just that period of your sanctification. You're not, you're not judged for your sins. They're under the blood. You're judged for the way you serve the Lord. If it could happen to Solomon, the wisest, the richest, the most influential man in the world, you know it could happen to you. You could start chasing the wind and you'd end up saying it's vanity. It's empty. There's nothing in this world that can satisfy you but Jesus Christ. Nobody, no thing can ever bring you satisfaction until you know Jesus and he lives in your life and you are following him. May God grant that we will not chase the wind and that we'll not be like Solomon. He woke up one day and said, I hate life.